Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Dead Dog Theology. We're excited to bring episode eight to you guys. As we have a couple things going on in this episode, we're going to hear from our lead pastor and teaching elder, Eric Reeves, in just a moment as he exposits uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 about uh, the renewal of our minds as Christians. And then we're also going to be interviewing one of our other elders, Hunter Carnes, and regarding his story of how God's gospel has changed his way of thinking by the transforming, this ongoing transforming power of His grace. We appreciate you guys listening, so be sure to stick around to enjoy the interview and the exposition. Thanks. Welcome back to Dead Dog Theology. This is part of our podcast. Each and every week we try to get into the scriptures and expound upon them in a few moments to encourage you, to build you up, and, and really reinforce all the things that the gospel is doing in you as followers of Christ. So today we're talking about transforming the way that we think, uh, basically, we have a, an in, inerrant problem as human beings that uh, our thinking is messed up. It's usually self-centered. It's usually centered around our sensual desires and, and things that we want for ourselves. But the Bible uh, steps into our situation with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and transforms us from dead sinners into living followers of Christ, living Christians. And also in that process, our minds are transformed and are continually being transformed. In Romans 12, very popular passage, and I'm, I'm really glad Hunter's with us today. I've heard him preach through this, and it's a verse that, that he quotes very often. But we want to look at these two verses real quick. So take a listen to this. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let me pray right quick. God, we do pray that your word will wash through our minds and our hearts again. Give us clarity as to the vision of the gospel um, displayed on a cross and the vision of the gospel displayed in our hearts. And let that display of power that's transformed our hearts also bring into alignment these mortal bodies that we may use them up uh, as a tribute and pointing to your work in us. What a beautiful gospel. We're here to celebrate that today. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. So again, we've preached through this many, many times. But if you're listening, uh, think about the therefore at the beginning of chapter 12. It alerts us, I guess, to the start of a new section. And if you've studied Romans, you can see how the book of Romans is divided between chapters 1 through 11 and to the end of 11 and the doxology to God. And then beginning this breath at uh, chapter 12 that is alerting us to the consequences of all that Paul has talked about before doctrinally. All that God has done then results in this human effect, this divine effect, I guess, on the human condition. The renewal of all the mercies of God that have been pouring out on us through His grace now affect change in us. So Paul had already laid out many of the essential doctrines of Christianity in these chapters. Now he really even applies it even to our very thinking as Christ's followers. This reality of divine grace, we could say, produces this new way of life in a, in a believer. So here's the, the tension sometimes is, well, Eric, I don't have a transformed way of thinking, or I, I don't really see the world differently than the way the world does it. 
Well, if we laid that uh, situation on these scriptures, we'd have a problem because the gospel makes this claim and it is proven to be true that it transforms and that it, it changes us. Now, we still fight the flesh. We still fight our natural tendencies within this human confinement. But there's something great at work in us. That is the gospel that, that allows us and enables us and calls us to even make our very bodies behave. And that's Paul's point. All the theological truths of chapters 1 through 11 are applied to us by the power of God's grace in us and through us. So uh, Paul basically sums up the entirety of chapters 1 through 11 in this first verse as he admonishes us to present our bodies uh, and I've, uh, as holy and acceptable sacrifices. And I've heard it said that, you know, a man or woman that controls his body, not from legalism, not from a self-centered point of, you know, personal discipline, but as a result of the gospel changing the way we think, a person who can control his body is really demonstrating the, the effects of the gospel. So full devotion is what Paul had in mind, is this, this logical response to, uh, you think about all the mercies that God has poured out on us. And so then we are to give back um, through his power everything about us, our time, talents, our desires, our possessions, whatever it is about us, uh, shows the conformity to God's purposes in the gospel. So refer, refusing to be conformed to the patterns of the fallen world is a an indicator that something is at work in you that is not of this world. So if you think about the modern church today, one of the, the telltale signs of a worldly church is they act like the world. They think like the world. They sing like their world. They 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 are passionate about the things of this this life bound existence. But for those of us who are in Christ, we enjoy the world and, and the things that God has afforded us, but our hearts yearn for something to be resolved of, of another world. That is God's worldview. That is God's kingdom. So these verses, as familiar as they are to you, I hope they you hear them fresh and anew today and the renewing of your mind to know the will of God. Uh, so the, the key to transformed Christian living is right here. It's not primarily our affections or our emotions. That's kind of what the world is driven by. But ours is to be gradually transformed or magnificently transformed, incrementally or all of a suddenly transformed as the gospel does through the understanding of the gospel. And we begin to see life different. And the things we used to think, we don't think like that anymore. And in the present, you know, if we're confused about something, we go to the scriptures, we go back to the gospel to know how to think through these things. So the gospel changes the way we feel uh, because it changes the way we think. It affects what we want and our desires, and it tunes our hearts to behave according to the reign of Christ over us, that, that God's will would be realized in our hearts. So the gospel fuels the way we live. It is the principal enunciation, um, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, is the way we live according to the transformation that our lives have experienced due to the gospel. So the renewing of our minds, as Paul talks about, and we could go on and expound about that, but the renewing of our minds takes place by being transformed by the gospel, and I'll say day by day, and then on this podcast today, we want to talk even thought by thought. Um, what do we think about things? What do we think about our circumstances? And then what does the gospel inform us? And then how does the gospel 
transform us. So Luke, that's where we're going, Hunter. I'm glad that you're here today and you just keep those uh, scriptures in our hearts as we go through this interview and talk about the effects of the gospel in us. Amen. We'll be right back with you with our interview with Hunter Carnes. Hey, Luke Jenkins here from Dead Dog Theology. And if you're in the Rainbow City area, I just wanted to take this time to to plug our church, Harvestfield Church, right here in Rainbow City, Alabama. We have worship services at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday morning and 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights. And we would love to see you and your family here. Uh, For more information, visit our website at harvestfieldchurch.org. Thank you. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to segment three. This is the interview segment with Hunter Carnes, one of our elders here at Harvestfield Church. And so we're excited to be here with Hunter. Hunter, welcome. Welcome to you guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you in. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and talk to us. So before we start throwing like darts at you, and it's not really darts, we, we you know we love you, but uh, I just want to cover a couple interview goals. This is like some things we want to get out of the interview uh, for our listeners. So uh, interview goal number one is to allow Hunter to bear witness to the truth of Romans 12, 1 through 2, which we just heard Eric exposit. And then we also want to demonstrate to our listeners that God's gospel, when received by faith, brings about the transformed life God desires. This treasure is revealed in our lives to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So, Hunter, I didn't want you to feel like, hey, we're about to just hammer you with a bunch of questions, because that's not the truth. We're, we're generally here to uh, hear your story and excited about that. I got a question for him before we get to uh, into the interview. Uh, Hunter, what time is it? Without looking at your watch, no clue, no clue, uh, <laughs> and you'll you'll understand that more in a minute. Honda uh, has uh, turned the tables on Hunter's perception of time, space, and reality. He thinks it's midnight right now. So, <laughs> tell him um, it is, um, but it's not. I'm kind of wondering what you guys are doing in my den in the middle of the night. <laughs> if you get out of here, I can go back to sleep. You're not hallucinating. You're just kind of whatever you want to call it. But just want to note that that uh, Hunter's on a different uh, frequency. Uh, but we we hope uh, we get in tune together. So before I uh, before I ask some of these uh, questions, I just want to I'm just going to go put the blame on Eric. Eric is the one that comes up with the outline. So whenever it's a I suggested outline, <laughs> not that I, I follow it very well. But anyway, so uh, let's let's go ahead and we'll get into it. But I, I do want to know this because I was asked this question, uh, Hunter. What is your age? Uh, 118. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about dog years. Oh, okay. I know. I'm 55. <laughs> You're white. I'm just curious. I'm concerned. Do you want to answer that? No, it's nobody's business. Okay, you're hot. 6'6". Six, six. Oh, he's glad about yeah, that. Yeah, he did get that one. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come straight out with hot. Right. We're not going to talk about weight. Okay. <laughs> at, at 55, it's just nobody else's concern anymore. <laughs> also, I would like to point out that I've never been in a room before where everybody in this room is over six foot two. Uh, well, everybody in this room is not over <laughs> six foot two. How much you weigh? One hundred and seventy-five. <laughs> then I'm six two. <laughs> that sounds about right. Okay, Eric's a good solid six two any day of the week. Hunter is a fit one seventy-five. Six go. six. That's uh, that's impressive. That is. That's really tall. No. Um, your blood pressure. You got good blood pressure? No, it's out of control. I take blood pressure medicine every day. And it can't get it in control or it's out of control. Uh, it's 
<laughs> I'm, I'm still alive. That's good. Hippo. So that's that's the control I'm shooting for. I'm, I'm still breathing. Did you say something about hippo laws? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> In your general disposition. How would you... uh, my general disposition. Who do you think you are if you're describing yourself? <laughs> I think my my grandfather name pretty much nails it. It's Grumpy. (laughs) That's not just my grandfather name. That is also my general condition. And that's good for our listeners to know that as Hunter gives his testimony, it is authentic and uh, not coming out of a state of total delusion. (laughs) No, that's that's the state that's listed on my driver's license. (laughs) That's awesome. So how long have you served at HFC? Uh, we came here in 2011 and I'd like to think I've been serving since then. Um, that's my final answer. <laughs> we can phone a friend if you, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I know it's late for you. I'm going to save that option. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, one thing we did, I don't think we noted that you are uh, Kelly's husband. So Kelly was on the episode before you were. She usually doesn't note that either. So <laughs> don't feel bad. <laughs> She, she doesn't lead with that. <laughs> so we said that uh, you work at Honda and uh, just a, a faithful uh, provider there. I was curious. I know the answer. I know Hunter pretty well. Maybe he'll surprise me today. What was your very first job? My very first job was working with my dad. That's what I thought. Construction. Yes, Construction. He, he was a general contractor, uh, like residential remodeling and room additions and things like that. So uh, that was my first job. It was and it was not voluntary. So how long have you been at Honda now? Almost 10 years now. 10 years? Yeah. Okay. And then you're a, you're a grandfather. We, we talked about Grumpy is your real grandfather name and uh, how that has changed your life. And Lily yes. and your, your family are a beautiful family. And I, I know God gives us uh, wonderful reprieves of, of children in our lives, even at 55. Even at 55, yes. Amen. So Hunter, how did God lead you to Christ? Uh, that's a good story. So I guess it's testimony time. Um, I was 40 years old. This is, let's go back to 2007. And, uh, uh, February of 2007, I had just turned 40 and I had lived 40 years in the desert. I I think that's kind of symbolic that, uh, you know, I I feel like I've wandered for 40 years in the desert before Jesus finally collected me. But, uh, I was, uh, like everybody else that doesn't follow Christ. I was my own God. And, uh, and like everybody else that doesn't follow Christ, I was a pretty bad God. I did a bad job of that. And, um, anyway, at that point we'd been married, me and Kelly had been married about 10 years and the girls were small. And, uh, on top of being lost, which was my main problem, uh, I was also a pretty good alcoholic, uh, probably professional level alcoholic, I would say, but functional, you know, I worked, uh, I paid the bills and everything, but. Uh, those two things combined being lost and being an alcoholic and, um, and then trying to lead a family. And, um, you know, you can only, you can only hold the the reins of that for so long. So that finally started coming unspooled on me. And, um, you can kind of tell when you've been married for a while, I knew Kelly a long time before we got married and, uh, she always had a certain look in her eyes and that, that look had gone. And, uh, I could look at her and tell that, that things were just gone. You know, things weren't, uh, things weren't right. And, um, thinking that she was gone. And uh, so I had that moment that all alcoholics talk about, that moment of clarity. I don't know what it means to them, but what it meant to me was I finally saw that um, that my life was in turmoil, that, that I was doing it wrong. 
and I had I had had enough of the gospel foundation put under me to where I thought, you know, if if I can't do this anymore, if if I'm not going to be a good enough God to get my life in order, then uh, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna try this Jesus thing that I'd heard. And that's kind of how I'd always yeah. referred to, you know, just try that Jesus thing. And um, so I got serious about that. Um, and uh, the the way that the way that that kind of came to me uh, is I was I, at that point I was working at Sam's Club in Hoover, and um, I was on break one day up in a when you could still smoke inside a building. So I was up on smoke break taking taking a break, and it was me and one one little woman in there, and she was watching. I think it's the 700 club on TV. And I'm like, man, so I'm, I'm sitting there just waiting for my time to be up to go back to work and finishing my cigarette. And I'm like, you know, you gotta be kidding me. And it was Pat Robertson and he's on TV. And, uh, I, you know, I knew who he was, but you know, it's never paid any attention to him before and really haven't since, but for whatever reason that day, uh, he's sitting there talking and I'm, I'm smoking my cigarette saying, is, is it time to go back to work? And all of a sudden I could hear Pat Robertson talking directly to me. And he said, uh, what kind of, what kind of man are you, you know, what are you being the man that God has called you to be? And that kind of got my attention. He said, are, are you being the husband that God has called you to be? What kind of husband are you? Are you leading your family? And that really hit me. I'm like, well, no, I'm, I'm really not. So, and then he, he got me with the last one. He said, what kind of father are you? When your children watch you, what are they learning? Mm-hmm. What are your children learning to do when they watch you? So I just kind of sunk back in my chair, put my cigarette out and I'm like, man, are you kidding me? What are my kids learning from me? Well, they're learning how to drink and smoke and talk bad and have a bad attitude towards life. And I'm teaching them everything wrong that I can possibly teach them. I'm not doing anything that God would want me to do. And that just kind of clicked. It kind of clicked right there in my mind right then. Right. And I real I, something, you know, I realized I'm, I'm not sitting here listening to Pat Robertson. God's talking to me and he, this is just the vehicle he was using. Right. So I just, I made my mind up right there. I was like, I've, I've got to change. I can't keep living like I'm living. I've got to change. And I think it's going to have to be Jesus that does that because I can't do it. Amen. That's awesome. I I know when we, uh, when me and you talked after the episode last week, when I did my testimony, you we were talking about how similar some of our stories are. And yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy how God used some of the same questions uh, through a, another speaker to bring us to him. That That's an amazing story of how, how you were, you were led to Christ or how, how God brought you into his fold. That's beautiful, Hunter. Luke, Luke, let me interject here. Just there's kind of a a breathing out moment in his testimony and our listeners, you know, who may be thinking about some of the same questions, you know, what kind of spouse are you, husband, father, mother, or or person you are. And when the gospel asks you that question, you know, part of the supernatural effect of, of what we know about Jesus is it, it reveals Christ and it reveals our sin and it leads into our, 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 the finishing of our topic, how it changes our thinking about things. And so I want our listeners to consider Hunter's story. He, he, you said something about the foundation of the gospel. So you had had some interaction with the gospel up to that point. Yeah, when, we, when me and my brother were young, my, my mother had tried to take us to church. Well, she did take us to church some. And, and uh, I'd heard enough about Jesus, I'd heard enough about the gospel. I had a, I had a general idea of what it was supposed to be. Right. I just, I'd always push back against that. And well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear Hunter uh, kind of elaborate on how the specifics of the gospel came to his ears and heart. And then uh, Luke, let's spend some time asking him some probing questions about how this gospel has changed his thinking 
uh, and really interested in, in how he thinks about addiction and alcohol and all those things that he used to think one thing, and now the gospel has brought clarity and communication to his, uh, his testimony. We'll be right back. Welcome back to our interview with Hunter Carnes, and Hunter has shared some details about how God has had brought his life to a crisis of, of realizing uh, his greatest needs, even using the television and the smoke break and the, uh, just the crisis of where he was. So, Hunter, if you could elaborate just a little bit, what then? What what did what did God reveal to you after you had that moment of of realization? What what was next in your story? Okay, so once I realized everything was wrong, and once I realized I needed Jesus to fix that, uh, I asked myself the same question. I'm like, well, you know, what now? What do I do? Uh, it just so happens that my wife had been going to celebrate recovery and center. Um, and she had taken me like a week or two before this, uh, work episode happened at work. Uh, and I sat through there and, and watched what they did. And, you know, it, it really, it got to me to the point to where I was really vocally pushing back against that. You know, I was like, come on, man, this, you know, uh, so I'm thinking, you know, once, once I have this experience, I'm like, well, I've, I've got to get into Jesus. I've got to, I've got to do this right, you know, because I know a lot of people come to Jesus quote unquote, and then don't do anything about it. Uh, and I knew my life had to change. So I started going to celebrate recovery with, uh, with Kelly and they had a men's group. Um, and they had some, I, I wound up long story short, I wound up with some excellent, uh, godly people around me, discipling me the best they could uh, towards Jesus, towards how to act, uh, what a new life ought to look like away from, um, away from my addictions and away from me being my own God. So, and I've heard you t describe that as, uh, bringing you to a place of surrender. Absolutely. That, that, that place in time or that process in time. The whole, the whole thing for me was about surrender. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that back up. Uh, I, I, I kind of glossed over that. It was surrender. Uh, you know, listening to, listening to a TV preacher, tell me how bad of a person I was and, and, uh, how ungodly and, and doing it wrong. Basically that's, that's what I got out of it. You're just, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Uh, and I realized that I'd been in control of my life and I'd run it in the ditch and, uh, and I'd really messed up my life. I'd messed up my marriage. I was in the process of messing up my kids. Um, and I couldn't do it anymore. And it was, it was like surrender. I, I remember going out on the, on the front porch of my house when I got home and, uh, just being by myself and, and literally getting down on my knees and saying, you know, Lord, if you're there, if all this is real, if you, if you are who everybody says you are, then I'm giving all this to you because I've ruined it and I'm going to give it to you and you, you're going to have to make it right. You're going to have to do something with me because I'm not able to do it. So that's, yeah, it was absolute surrender. Uh, and then it, you, you surrender at a point and then you continue your surrender into your discipleship. Uh, and you have to realize that that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, and that he's capable of doing the things that you never could. In our verses in Romans 12, it's talking about the conforming of our thinking, you know, and the changing of our minds, the renewal of our minds, and that leads into discipleship and staying in the word. And I've watched Hunter's life change, even uh, in sobriety and, and in spiritual formation over the last decade. And 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 I, I'm intrigued at how God has shaped your thinking uh, part of Hunter's story is the battle with addiction, uh, first off, as a battle with addiction as a lost person, but then the battle of addiction as a saved person, someone in Christ. And 
tell me a little bit about how God has changed, not, maybe initially 10 years ago when you were saved, but how has God continued to change your thinking about addiction? Right. Well, when you're an addict, you don't even realize it. Uh, that's part of the problem. Uh, and the further away that I've gotten from that, and it's been 15 years now instead yes, of 10. Yes, that's right. When, that's right. Five years can get behind you before you know it <laughs> well, at, at this age. Yeah. You know, what's what's another five years, right? <laughs> throw another throw five. It, throw it on the pile. Uh, the further away I get from it, um, God has really changed my thinking about addiction. And, and really, he's he's uh, clarified my thinking uh, about addiction. I came across a fantastic book called The Heart of Addiction by Mark Shaw, uh, who I actually talked to come talked into coming here and, and speaking one night. Um, uh, the world looks at addiction as a brain disease. The more, the more you study addiction, if you look, if you look at it through a secular point of view, they, they want to call it a brain disease. Uh, and it's just absolutely not. It is absolutely not. And I'm willing to take whatever heat people want to give me for that. I've, I've stood up in front of the church before and preached that it's not a, it's not a brain disease. Addiction is not a disease. And uh, I, I preached that one Sunday, and as soon as it was over, I had somebody come up to me and say, I like what you preached about. That's right. Of course, you know that alcoholism really is a disease, right? After I just got through preaching that it's not <laughs> and, and giving scripture, you know, uh, it's uh, addiction's not a disease. It's a choice. It's a choice that we make. It's um, who do you choose? It, it, the Bible calls addiction idolatry. And idolatry is when we put something else on God's throne. When we move God, try to move God off his throne and put something else there, something else to follow, something else to get us through hard times, to, uh, to make our lives better. And when we turn to something other than God, that's called idolatry. And the more you get, if you choose, you know, mine was alcohol. If you choose alcohol and the more you, the more you choose it, the more it has a hold on you and it, it's, it becomes more and more of an addiction. But it was a choice that I made. Uh, I don't think I had a brain disease that made me started start drinking and become an alcoholic. It was a choice that I made. I, and I, re, I remember the first drink I ever had. You know, it was just, hey, let's let's do this. And so God has has really changed my uh, thinking. And and looking at the scriptures, it's just it jumps out at you. And I always use this uh, Romans twelve one and two when I'm talking about addiction or, or preaching or giving a testimony. And it says, "Be transformed by the renewal of your mind." It's the way you think. And how are we trans? How is our mind transformed? It's transformed supernaturally through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's how it's transformed. I couldn't in the, in the height of my addiction, there's no way I could have said, I'm just going to put this uh, alcohol down and not use this anymore. I could not have done that on my own. While you're there, I do want to ask. So did you ever at any point uh, prior to you being saved, anybody ever come up to you and just said, hey, man, you, you realize this is what's going on and try to, I guess, bring you to Christ on their own? Or uh... I had I had a few people. My brother, who was a, a minister at the time, uh, he, he talked to me, bless his heart. You know, he, he spent a lot of time uh, trying to work on me and tell me the truth. And I would listen. And I guess somewhere, in, it, you know, it, it nestled in the back of my mind. Uh, again, it was something that, that I think I used to fall back on when I finally made the decision, but I would, you know, I would push him away too. I'm like, right. you know, I, I appreciate where you're coming from. I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I've got this under control. Don't, you know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need your I don't help. Need on it right. Right. Uh, one of the most, uh, awkward situations for lack of a better word, it's awkward. But when I hear Hunter talking to people who are struggling with addiction, and I listen to them try to justify oh, yeah. and rationalize. Right, right, and right. 
one person you can't fool. And, and again, I've got lots of friends with a lot of different opinions about alcohol and moderation and abstinence. And, and certainly we can come to a good biblical conclusion, but according to Hunter's personal testimony and his, uh, convictions about alcohol or any, you know, how it relates to substance abuse in general, but I've seen him, uh, again, tell an addict who is in denial, uh, who knew the Bible and knew the ins and outs and everything to say. And Hunter just look at him like, and everybody in the room knew that guy was lying. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most awkward things I've ever heard. And, and not to, not to give Hunter an excuse to be condescending to people in process, but at the same time to be confident in, in how the gospel changes our thinking about addiction. That's right. And, and we see so many people enabling uh, addictions of others and justifying and the disease, you know, I've heard that before and I've heard Hunter answer that, uh, addiction is a disease. No, but it does have disease like symptoms. So does sin, sin right. brings symptoms and consequences and these things you can diagnose, but sure. that's not an excuse right. for continuing in sin. And that's probably one of the most unpopular opinions out there today. Oh, I, I'd, I want to go to Malibu beaches and, and go to a spa and have somebody fix me. But uh, Hunter's testimony is a little contrary to the modern. It's a lot contrary. And, and you know, from what, I've, from what I've gone through personally and what I've seen, and, you know, I've had a chance to talk to other people that, that do go through addiction, um, the, uh, the, the, worldly methods of treatment, quote unquote, treatment of addiction. Uh, you know, why, why do you want to treat addiction? You know, don't you want to eradicate that? Don't you want to not be addicted? And I don't think there's any other way to do that except through having your mind renewed and your thoughts changed by the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. You've got to be, uh, we don't, we don't want to be an, a better version of our old self. You know, the Bible says that the old is gone and now the new, you're a new creation. You have to be transformed. God, uh, he wants to make us into something new to be like him. Uh, there, you know, I, I don't want to be a better version of what I used to be. I want to, I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be the new creation that he's set out to be. So basically you're saying the most unpopular thing in modern, I'll say the secular Christian world you're saying the gospel is sufficient to transform the heart and the mind. Absolutely. The, go the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient to give us everything that we need. In every a, In a struggle. Now, I will say maybe, uh, and I'm asking you this question, what if somebody says, well, they're, we know it's not a disease, but maybe a lifestyle pattern or a habit of uh, patterns of habitual behavior of coping with stress or distress or despair. Mm -hmm. You know, it does require a, a, a theological term is mortifying the flesh. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I will, I've observed Hunter being very compassionate to people who are, you know, they understand the gospel and they see the freedom of the gospel, but they just, the patterns of behavior, um, uh, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of, um, uh, associations and friends and uh, what am I saying, Hunter? Yeah, Anything? I, 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 you know what you're saying? You know what it requires? Surrender. Mm -hmm. We have to surrender those old habits. We have to surrender those old patterns of living uh, because that's what got us there in the first place. Why would you want to go put a, a new coat of paint on an old habit and an old pattern? It's just not going to work. Paint's going to wear off and you're going to be right where you were. That has to change. 
Mm-hmm. It has, has to be transformation, and that comes from surrender. Mm-hmm. With uh, Romans 12 in mind, Hunter, uh, we're, we're told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, how has offering your body as a, as, a, as a spiritual sacrifice, a living sacrifice, changed your thinking about alcohol in general? Uh, it's, I, I have a very unpopular view of, of, uh, alcohol and the use of alcohol, even in the church, because, uh, people want to say, well, the, the Bible doesn't say that you can't drink. So they're using that, you know, whatever excuse that I can get to still drink and, and be okay. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying that the Bible says you can't drink, you know, the Bible says what it says. I would ask you, you know, what's the motive of your heart behind behind your desire to drink what what drives that what's what's your motive are, are you doing that to uh to satisfy some kind of physical desire uh you know the bible also tells us to, to eat everything that we eat and drink everything we drink and do everything that we do to the glory of god yeah. so i mean are you really going to open up that six pack of budweiser and drink that down to the glory of god you know if you can do that and and sleep good at night then then go for it uh, my view on alcohol, you, you asked me how it's, uh, how, you know, being transformed has, has changed my view on alcohol. I just don't touch it. I don't, I think I, I've, I've seen alcohol do too much damage to individuals, too much damage to families. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a, of a good reason to sit back and say, I'm going to, I'm going to kick back and have a couple of drinks or I can't think of a good reason to do that. Why would you do that? Right what, what good is it doing you? I mean, if you can, if you can benefit yourself and your family and, and bring more glory to God by sitting down and having three or four shots of tequila, uh, then you're a different person than I am. I see no benefit in alcohol. I'm 100% leave it alone and, uh, and don't have anything to do with it. Amen. So you touched a little bit on family members. Um, what do you think regarding family members who en- enable these addictions? family members that enable an addict, um, they, you, they generally mean well, they're, they're trying to care for that person, but they're not doing it from a biblical perspective. Uh, you know, and that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and preach on that. That's, that's a very dicey thing. Uh, you know, if my, if my wife was struggling with addiction, I'd want to do everything I could do to help her, but knowing what I know, I would try to do it biblically. I would try to do it through transformation and the grace of Jesus and, and family members that try to help other family members that that don't use the gospel, I, I don't know how effective that's going to be. That's where the enabling comes in because eventually you're just going to give in and you know and help them help them on down the road. Right. Let uh, let me also interject just a, a quick break. Uh, we've heard the first part of his testimony and the gospel transformation and and uh, how the gospel led Hunter to a place of surrender. We've heard even how addiction uh, was addressed in the power of the gospel and how it's transformed Hunter and Kelly's thinking. And that's been a big influence in our ministry here at Harvestville Church and continues to do that. When we come back, we're going to just talk about some other realities that are coming out of the gospel and being made known in Hunter's life and ministry here as an elder. So we're going to take just a minute break and we'll be right back. We're back with Hunter Carnes and uh, kind of giving you guys as listeners an idea of his testimony and We've heard how the gospel captured him, how the gospel is uh, changing his thinking. And now we find ourselves in our in the decade of the 50s. And Hunter and I are one year <laughs> apart in age. And it's not fun. Uh, 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 
My name, is, sure yeah, my name is Luke. <laughs> Luke over there <laughs> is sitting there at a, a wonderful 28. So he can't fathom exactly what we're talking about. But I'm going to ask for the benefit of our guys out there and even ladies uh, going through life stages. I've often said that the hardest decade for a man is the 50s. Now, I guess I'm biased because I'm I'm right here. Hunter, why would you think I would say that? Why, why would I say uh, I know there's challenges for Luke and his family in 30s and 40s. There's challenges, but in the 50s, something kind of changes. Uh, why, why do you think I would say that? You know, it's just this last stage. You, I'm 55 now, and, um, you know, I've always been a real big guy and been the big, strong guy. I've been able to lift and do everything I wanted to do. And, you know, in the past few years, I see that starting to go on the decline. I, I don't feel like the big hulking beast that i always thought i was <laughs> not that i was but that i thought i was uh you know so physically you know you start i, I don't know if i should say start thinking about your mortality as much but i mean I, that plays in you just you know we don't feel like the big strong burly dude you know like luke obviously does in, in your 20s and 30s and then even into your 40s, you know, you still feel that. And you get into your 50s now and, mm -hmm. you know, knees hurt all the time, back me, hurts all the time. Let me just tell our 45, 46, 47-year-old brothers, y'all get ready. It's coming. Uh, at, at 50, the big anchor throws down. And, and anyway, on a very serious note, I found that, uh, you know, as life progresses and we get a little bit older and things change beyond our control, uh, the death of my father last October was very difficult for me yes. mentally. And I know Hunter has gone through that as well. Yeah. My dad passed away about almost five years ago now. And, uh, that, that, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, well, I watched you through that and I, I was fearful to watch you. And then, then when my dad passed away, I mean, it's not that we give up or phone it in. It's just uh, this we talk about sobriety, yeah, you know, it's, the sobriety it, it, of life. It's a very sobering thing. You know, you, you've always, you've always counted on your dad, but you've always, you've always pictured your dad as the, you know, the big, strong head of the family, you know, capable of doing everything. And I, and your dad sort of declined the way mine did mm -hmm. at the end. And it was hard to watch him that way. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's a crazy life stage. You know, you, you get to this age and you start losing your parents. Uh, but you know, at the same time now I've, I've got a, a grandbaby and, <laughs> you know, maybe and another one coming and, um, well, one, one other question just for, this is our senior adult moment, Luke, if you'll just bear with us. Brought to you by Western Sizzling. Western Sizzling, <laughs> where you can eat the buffet salad and all you can eat for six ninety nine, and hear I some can't. politician. I can't wax on about how their old self is going to change the world. But anyway, um, um. So why do you think, and I'm just going to stereotype 50 something year old men, let's, let's say 54 year old Eric, who's tired and his knees hurting. He's not the man he used to be. And his dad has passed away. And, and why, why does so many 50 year old men kind of just phone it in uh, as far as their spiritual life in the church? Not all, but some, and, and I can see that. Why do you think? I, it's gotta be just, you know, at this point in life, at this life stage, you start dealing with so much loss. You know, you've either lost or you're losing your parents and you're losing the the physical hair strength. Well, my hair's thinning a bit. Yeah, um, but you, you, you're you rocking it. 
but yeah, I mean, I, they're just, there's, there's loss everywhere. You're just, you're surrounded by so much loss, even with n- new people coming into your life. Um, you start realizing, you know, just things aren't the way they used to be. My life's not the way it used to be. My strength's not the way it used to be. And, um, but the, the, the thing Hunter and I would encourage Luke in is that God's grace is sufficient, even dragging these bodies around and, and our tired mental state, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the, the, the fatigue that right. can dangerously lead to cynicism. That's where Hunter and I try to, we're the two old Muppets in the balcony <laughs> going, man, you call that entertainment? <laughs> you know, it's easy to, I don't mind sarcasm, but when you fall into cynical, like, like, like what's the point of this? What's the, the use in this? That's where we have to take our minds, the renewing of our thinking back to the gospel, that God's grace is sufficient for us in our grief um, in our youth, in our uh, aging bodies, that this story of the gospel is is carrying us through uh, to the last breath we take. Right. Well, you know, and it's easy to think that when things are going great and everything's all great and wonderful and you've got everything you want and, and everybody's well, you know, it's easy to think, well, God's grace is sufficient, ain't it? I've got everything. But then it's, you know, when, when things start getting rough and hard and you get older and you hurt and it's harder to move, harder to take 30 minutes to get out of bed or, you know, whatever, God's grace is still sufficient there too. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what keeps me away from cynicism mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'm, I, you know, I'm getting worse. The world's getting worse, but God's still the same. It's right. still the same God and I can still depend on that. Another thing for Luke and those, uh, you know, Luke's about the age of my, my sons don't mistake, uh, uh, like, like Hunter and I might just look at you with a lack of enthusiasm. <laughs> don't, don't think that cynicism. We're just kind of like going, well, there you go. I, I've seen that one. A couple times. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. <laughs> hey Eric, this is great. Wait, do you see this? I saw the funniest thing. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Luke. But anyway, Luke, I'll pitch it back over to you and yeah. finish up this segment. I, I do want to finish up the interview asking you a couple of different things on eldership. Um, so how, how did that, uh, how did that happen? How did you go from God transforming your life to coming out of addiction to eldership here at Harvestville? I've asked myself that question uh, too many times. It was, uh, when being transformed and the way you think about things is changed, uh, your priorities change. Okay. So I, I didn't put the same weight on the priorities that I used to have, uh, and trying to go into a life that I saw God laying out for me. God had created a new life for me. Um, and even that the heart of addiction book, the, the last of it talks about service if you're transformed and you're following Christ, that should, that should develop in you a heart of service. You want, you want to serve. And I remember, you know, coming to Eric and uh, saying, you know, if, if you feel like one day I ought to be an elder, you know, I, I'll be willing to do that. Right. Of course he always, he gives me the standard. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, two or three years later when well, he, when he sees that I'm still serious, but it's a, uh, uh, I just, I developed a heart of service. I thought, you know, if, if, uh, if this gospel is good enough to change me, then maybe I can give that to somebody else. And I wanted to be able to sit across the table and I can, I can sit across the table from anybody struggling with any addiction and, and, you know, speak the gospel to them. Amen. And uh, so I wanted to do that in a, in a capacity to, uh, to serve this church body. So that's, that's what led me into that. That's awesome. So uh, concerning Harvestville church, what, what makes your heart beat faster when we talk about Harvestville? Uh, just the fact that there are people like the three of us sitting here that that think and feel the way that we do about uh, 
people needing transformation, needing the gospel. And, and, I, and I know this church specifically, uh, you know, having been here this long and, and knowing the core people and, you know, most of the people here feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're, we're not here to put on a religious show and go through the motions and uh, people genuinely care about uh, helping people transform and showing people the gospel. So it, it excites me to know that we have a, a church uh, if not full, almost full of, of people like that. So that's, that's very exciting. I mean, that's, that's why I'm still here. That's why I enjoy serving this body. Amen. All right. So, uh, we can take a quick break. We're going to go into our last segment. Uh, we do for the last segment, Hunter, you know, we go into some cultural things and we have a little fun. So we'll also require that you be blindfolded. <laughs> well, I, I brought my clown nose and <laughs> So, uh, whatever uh, I'm, I'm ready for whatever dunking tank whatever you guys do I'm... we'll take a quick break and be right back with you welcome back to our last segment and we've enjoyed our time with luke and with hunter today we want to close our podcast in our in our uh, traditional sense of just getting to know each other a little bit better we talk about cultural things a lot of times there's some serious things going on out there on the news and Every day it's the same news and and, uh, us as Christians need to certainly be aware of what is happening in our culture and then how to respond to that in a biblical way. Um, So stand firm in your knowledge of the word as we uh, take on the serious things. Then all of a sudden the world goes, hey, look, it's Johnny Depp. Hunter, what was your favorite Johnny Depp movie? Favorite Johnny Depp movie. You, repeating the question gives you time to think. It yes. does. It does. If I was still a smoker, I'd be taking a big long drag right now. Well, let's see, Johnny Depp. Don't. Let's not even answer that. I, you think about it, and if it's on your heart, you uh, can. Cur- t- Curse of the Black Pearl. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Pirates well, of the yeah, that's, that's a good say. Yeah. When that was when Johnny Depp was was cool. Now he's. We're saying. Why are we even talking about Wasn't Johnny Depp? Wasn't he on Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Too? He did a remake, yeah. not the original. Gene Wilder was the original Willy Wonka. Um, hey, what do you think about tearing down Logan's Roadhouse? And uh, I've heard rumor. Have y'all seen it? That's it's true. gone. Yeah. No, that's yeah. yeah they're, it's they're now in Olive Garden. They're building an Olive Garden. I think that's fantastic. I know Logan's was a that's an emotional thing. I know. You like what was wrong with? I did. It went through a metamorphosis. Bad. Bad. Even at the best of times, it's nowhere near Olive Garden. I say bring on Olive Garden. How we got, I am with you on that. I like Olive Why does Gadsden have this? all these restaurants? And, and how are we paying for that? How do people afford to go to restaurants? Right now they're having a walk. They can't afford to get <laughs> No, they're not. Here's my next question. How high would gas have to go before people stop driving so much? Because we're not there yet. Rainbow Drive is a testament. We're having to put up barricades to keep people from running over it. I don't know. Seven or eight dollars a gallon. Would yeah, they stop driving? I think it's that. No, but they would. They would. You would see less traffic. You'd, yeah. You wouldn't go to Dollar General quite as much. Mm, Maybe. Okay. And then uh, we talk about the distractions of Johnny Depp. Uh, you know, I saw today that with all the, the inflation and the crisis of America and America about to roll over and give it up. Hey, look, a UFO. Really? UFOs. That's what we're spending taxpayers' money to have congressional hearings on unidentified flying objects, which strikes fear to my core of being a child of the 70s. Right. Bigfoot and UFO. That's yeah. all. I'm you know. <clears throat> much more concerned about Bigfoot than I am UFOs. Bigfoot's hey, real, right? Look, a flying saucer. <laughs> 
Look, there's Sasquatch. Hey, I did see this video today that talked about um, how Antarctica, Antar- what is it called? Antarctica, Antarctica. I don't want to tell North you because I'm in Georgia trying to. No, this is the I'm other pole. Through. I'm struggling today. That's the uh, other pole, Pee Wee. How it is a uh, how it's a it's an ice wall around the con the continents that we see on the map, but there's actually more continents on the other side of this ice wall. And then so he to back it up, he said, "Well, watch this video of this pilot flying close to the South Pole and." You can see it looks like an ice wall. I don't believe it. I just saw it. Yeah. That's all I want to. That's all I just wanted to bring it up. For, all, for you know, scientists want to tell us how old the world is and where everything came from. And hey, look, Johnny Depp. Yeah, and, and people, <laughs> people don't know what's on this planet, right? That's right. We don't know all the animals. We have no idea what's on the bottom of the ocean, much less under the ice. Now y'all are scaring I'm having bad dreams right now. <laughs> Let's uh, shift gears toward the end. Here's some questions for Hunter Carnes. What are you doing this weekend? Hopefully resting and playing with my granddaughter. Resting and playing with your granddaughter. Does that coexist? No. Okay. But I will I will forego the rest to play with the granddaughter. If you're on Twitter and you follow Hunter Cards, you will get your daily dose of cuteness many times a day because Lily is the cutest thing we've ever seen. Um, Absolutely. How are things going with you physically? You okay, though? I know with the creaks and the moans and the, uh, you know, uh, you do exercise. You exercise anything? Uh, I stretch out. Yeah, when we'd like whenever, to see that. Whenever, whenever I can, we'd whenever like I'm, to come see that. Whenever I'm awake, and, okay. which is not right now. All right. Well, how do you eat? You eat low fat, uh, high fiber uh, diet. Yeah, I have a I've, I have a very strict, strenuous health food diet of whatever fast food I can, whatever the shortest line at the drive-through is. What does Honda have for break? They have like a break room of healthy snacks, lettuce, yeah. Japanese, uh, yeah, some cuisine. <laughs> It's yeah. Honda. It's Honda. It's a Japanese company. Thank Come you. on. Thanks for explaining it. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, whatever you want to get, you can get there. Um, Luke asked you something about, you know, you were excited about it at Harvestville and you did a good job. What are you excited about right now? Right now, what, what's, what makes your heart uh, beat faster? The granddaughter. The granddaughter, Lily. <laughs> Kelly had it, the man. same answer. All about it. Mm-hmm. I'm all about mm-hmm. the grandbaby. Tell us a little bit about what you think about the podcast. I know you've listened to several episodes. Uh, this is this is great. I know it's something that you've been talking about before, but uh, I've listened to you guys do this, and this is fantastic. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it's just it's great. It's presenting the gospel, uh, and it's presenting the gospel according to Harvest Field, and which is we think we have a, a right view of of the gospel according to what what the scriptures say, and uh, and this podcast is. I mean, it's full of scripture every day or every time you do it. So I, I, I think this is great. Uh, I like this uh, glass soundproof booth booth you have guys have in here. And uh, there's some dude over here fanning me with a palm leaf. That's and, right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to put that down, Luke, as a five-star rating. So yes. that is good. Yes. Uh, next to the last question, and this is a very uh, sensitive one, but it's one we have to ask. Okay. We're, we're obligated by the terms and agreements of our uh, dead dog theology, which the logo is copyrighted by the way. It is that. And we'll be coming for you if you abuse that. What was your favorite pet growing up? Most specifically, could it be a dog? What was your favorite dog growing up? The only pet that I really had growing up was a dog. It was a, um, a mix of a pit bull and a boxer. Her name, hmm. her name was uh, TJ. She was fantastic. TJ. Sweetest dog that's ever lived. Looked ferocious, kept everybody out of the backyard. Mm-hmm. Sweetest thing that's ever been. Wouldn't wouldn't bite a fly. Tell me your name again. TJ. TJ. Where is TJ now? In doggy heaven. 
Now, don't start that. <laughs> you we, just we well, this want, is not going to be our last gosh. segment. Um, we want to think that our doggies are all barking and chasing they're tennis not, balls and doggy hat. No, she's been gone for a long time. Well, all right. How did she pass? Just old age. Football. Oh, that's peaceful. Yeah, were you with her? Uh, yes, I was. As a matter of fact. Okay. How old were you? How old was I? Mm-hmm. 20, 20, 30. We're not stop. I'm not stopping the questions till I get a tear. <laughs> I'm not gonna cry about it. Okay. D- did you humanize her? Like, uh, no, it was a dog. It was a dog. It's a dog. Okay. Dogs are dogs, people are people. Dead dog theology based on Second Samuel 9 8. Um, but sometimes we use the metaphor in inappropriate ways. <laughs> um, where are we eating today? Sizzle, I guess. You going home, going to bed. I'm going home, going to work. I'll be eating at Honda later on. What, what time are you going to work? Uh, my shift starts at 2.20. Okay. Well, thank you for your hard work. That's Absolutely. what I do. That's what I do. Hey, thank, thank you guys for the podcast. Thank you for coming on today, Hunter. One thing before we close out, uh, Zoe plays in the – I just wanted to give that update. Zoe plays in the championship, championship game of, in soccer, the tournament championship She's today. six I'm for so our excited. listeners. Yeah, and I'm her coach. I know. One of them. Kind of sounded like the – Olympics or something. I could, yeah. It's the six-year-old Olympics. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I had a kid uh, on the team ask me because I, wore, I wore my uh, <laughs> dead dog theology hat to coach in yesterday. Um, coach Luke, why is a dead dog on your hat? Or no, he said, why is a dog on your hat? I said, it's a dead dog. And that's all I said. <laughs> Haley said, you didn't explain it. Thanks, I said, coach. six. He wouldn't understand Thanks, that. coach. <laughs> Well, what does he not understand so, now? So that was, that was my plug for I have hats in. He's traumatized now. <laughs> Dead Dog Theology hats are in. They're $25. I got to pay for some of this podcast podcast equipment before my wife finds out. So uh, be sure to purchase one. Uh, earlier in our segment, you might have heard a weed eater or a blower, and that was brought to you by Bucky Powers. Um, call Bucky Powers for all your landscape and three P's. Three P needs. Yeah, that's the company name. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Dead Dog Theology Podcast. Be sure to purchase a hat. They're $25. I'd be happy to see you in one. Um, And be sure to like and subscribe to our, our podcast on all the listening platforms. Thanks again for listening. We hope you guys have a great week.